you know, I've been messing around with a bunch of different diets for a long time. I've done a bodybuilding style diet. I've done keto diet. I've done carnivore diet. And I always need something to look forward to in my day. And something that's been really helpful for me over the years has been a Quest Bar. And on top of uh, it tasting good and on top of it having protein in it, it also has fiber in it. Um, and one thing I always found compelling and great about Quest Bar is that it fits any diet. Yes. You know, you did a lot of different dieting uh, than I've done. You were counting macros and counting calories. Mm-hmm. You don't really want a protein bar that has like 18 grams of fat in it. Nope. Quest Bar has like eight grams of fat maybe. So you use Quest Bars as well? I use Quest Bars plus, well, like one of the thing about Quest Bars because I messed with a lot of other protein or I guess bars and they tasted like crap. Quest Bars were good and especially on the restrictive diet I had during bodybuilding, they were something that I really like liked to actually eat. Mm. Plus the fiber, it was great. It's nice to have something to look forward to. Andrew, what you got? Uh, we got a huge selection of Quest Nutrition bars that you guys can get in on. Head over to questnutrition.com, enter Mark's Quest, that's all one word, at checkout for 20% off all these bars and everything they got at questnutrition.com. All right, so Mark, what are ketones? Man, that's a great question. You know, it, it's, it's hard to produce ketones. It's hard to, it's actually one of the hardest diets because it takes almost two weeks for your body to actually start to produce ketones. Mm. Ketones is a, it's a fractionated fat. When you start to consume large amounts of fat in the absence of carbohydrates, your body will start to produce ketones. Some people believe that ketones are a preferred source of energy, especially for like your brain. So a lot of people say, oh man, I'm on like this keto high or I've gone on a ketogenic diet and I have a ton of clarity because Mm -hmm. of the ketones. Um, But for me right now, like I haven't been on an actual ketogenic diet in a long time. I do eat very low carb, but I still have room for fruit. I still have room for dairy. And so therefore I supplement with perfect keto. I utilize their ketones and they have a a chocolate flavored one, a salted caramel one. But my favorite one is the coffee flavored one. And I actually throw that in my morning coffee, which I think would be something to be great for you to try because you do a lot of fasting, right? Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely really excited to like try that in the morning when I'm fasting because I fast for most of my day. And since I'm pretty low carb, there is a period where I think I do hit ketosis. So it'd be really, really cool to get that in, in my fasting period. Yeah, we got to test your ketones too Mm, to to see what you're running on over here. Andrew, where can they find out more about these uh, ketones. All right. You guys can kick ass just like Mark Bell on ketones today by heading over to perfectketo.com slash power project and use code power project and get 15% off all perfect keto products. And SEMA, I know that you don't work out very hard. Nope. Because it's pretty much just all genetics. You get a lot of questions about genetics. Is that right? All the time. All the time. I wonder, you know, what the importance of, you know, some of our food would be genetically, like say for, you know, cows, for example. Uh, you know, I think the genetics of our food is it's pretty damn important. Like, you know, Piedmontese is all natural, all natty, with no added hormones or steroids and not even trend. I don't know. They're <laughs> These things are pretty lean. Uh, yeah, but I mean, they're cuts. I'd like of, to have them tested personally. I think we should. We should. <laughs> but their cuts of beef are from the Sandhills region of Nebraska and contain significantly less fat and higher protein content than other beef that you might find at the store. This comes from genetics, the breed of the cow, and not relying on the extra intramuscular fat and marbling. In other words, you get the best protein to fat ratio from the best cows in the country, from the best beef for maximum gains. I love it. You're able to still eat your meat, but you don't have to worry about the extra fat calories. Works out great for anybody that is looking to be jacked and tan like us. Like us. Andrew, where can they find out more information about Piedmontese beef? 
Cool. As awesome as high-protein, low-fat beef sounds, our friends at Piedmontese are going to give you a more awesomerist deal by heading over to Piedmontese.com. That's P-I-E-D-M-O-N-T-E-S-E.com. Enter promo code POWERPROJECT, and that's going to get you a whopping 25% off your order, along with free two-day shipping on all orders of $99 and above. What it is. Yeah, he mentioned that your gallbladder might be... Your gallbladder is something that helps you uh, digest fats, you know, and and maybe like, you know, maybe your gallbladder can build up a tolerance for it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you start to because I eat like a crazy amount of fat and I don't really have, you know, stomach issues. And mm-hmm. so maybe maybe just like anything else that we work on, we can have a stronger willpower. We can build ourselves up to be stronger. Maybe the permeability of our stomach, you know, for fats. I think that that would be one reason why someone might feel a little bit better versus feel a little bit worse. But I also think that, um, you know, Jen, Jen Wiederstrom years ago wrote a book called eat right for your personality type. Mm. And I actually think that that's, it's hard to figure out what your personality is. It's hard to figure out like what kind of person you are in this world. So that, that even that whole thing is kind of complicated, but even just selecting foods that uh, fit your religious beliefs, they fit your life beliefs in general. Um, and they, like if you, if you don't want to harm any animals, then like a carnivore diet's out. Yeah. Um, if you have tried low carb before and it just never felt right, then that's probably out too. You know, I, I would say that you can adapt to just about anything, but why force yourself into adapting into something that's like really just feeling uncomfortable, making you yeah. feel like crap. And you're talking about more than just like, uh, I'm going to try a low carb. Like, oh, I got a headache. I feel bad after two days, right? Like that's totally yeah. different. Yeah. I think, I think honestly, I think you really need to try, uh, any style of diet that you're going to move into that you probably need to probably try for about two months. And that's even just a real blip on the radar. Um, if you want to try to think of it, in you try to think about it in terms of like something that you can actually like hold on to and do then take it as a week challenge and say i'm going to try this for a week and then from that week though take the next week and say i'm going to try to tweak it a little bit more because i didn't feel that great um and and i mentioned to you earlier today andrew like i've you know i'm i'm on this keto diet and i i love it and i've been on and off the diet for many many years but this has been a progression that's been you know, going on for 20 years and I feel really good with what I'm doing right now. And that'll probably change again. Like I'll probably, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. I, um, like we're going to our beach house in, uh, November. I'll be there for several days. It'll be Thanksgiving. I'm not going to really go off like off of a diet. I'll still be on a diet, mm-hmm. but that's when I'll utilize, uh, stuff like icon meals. And I'll, if mm-hmm. when I'm hungry and I'm seeing everything else, everyone else is eating, hmm. I'll probably heat up something like that because I just know it's a better choice. You know, I'm kind of at the point now where I kind of have a eat this, not that mm-hmm. mentality. Like just try to make a, try to make a better choice. Um, and if I am going to eat like ice cream or something, then I'm going to eat ice cream and yeah. I'm just going to get after it. I'm just going to eat it. I'm not going to eat some weird keto ice cream or something like that. Mm. I'm just going to like, you know, just totally go for it every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I've been saving the, uh, the, t- the tomahawk steak from Piedmontese. I still have it. I'm going to have that on Thanksgiving. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. I've already de- decided that and uh, probably pick up another one. So that way I can have it with a friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I sh- yeah. I should save mine for Thanksgiving. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, instead of turkey, a turkey is terrible. Could you imagine? Yeah, I don't like turkey that Come much, on, man. Yeah. Turkey. Well, we'll see what we're doing. I'll I'll throw your steak in my smoker. Ooh. Excuse that's me. That's not that's not a euphemism for anything. You guys Ooh. need a are we docking separate room? Ah, uh, no, we can't dock. There's there's not there's <laughs> not enough dock meat. my steak in your smoker. There's there's not <laughs> a, there's not enough meat at the end of the the tomahawk to dock. What? <laughs> Uh, and oh, that's man. how we lost all R- our viewers R- really quick uh jay he, he works with us here he was like hey man like i gotta ask like what's a poop cast like what's the difference wait are we live right now we're, we're recording we're, recording? we're not live okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Recording. okay and i was like oh dude like oh man like he's such a nice guy i'm like i'm sorry we're we're children and he <laughs> looks at me and i'm like yeah we're, we're like 12 years old i'm like we think it's funny instead of saying podcast, we'll say poop cast. Mm, yeah. And he's like, Oh, okay. And he's <laughs> like, yeah, you are an imbecile. I'm some immature. <laughs> so we, we were just watching some uh, footage of Mr. Carnivore, Dr. Carnivore, uh, Sean Baker, Dr. Sean Baker broke down the movie game changers. Mm. I have not seen it yet. I don't think Andrew's seen it yet. I saw like about half of it last night. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. And Encima has seen the whole thing. I've seen in oh. terms of game changers. I saw about half of it. Oh, I saw oh. the whole Sean's video before. Yeah. I yeah. just, I just got to the boner part and then mm. that was it. Ooh. It's just cause it got, it got late. We trained this yeah. morning. I trained right. late yesterday. Yeah. So, but yeah. Uh, and then so I'm going to have Sean kind of break down some of this stuff for us and, and get some of his views on, mm-hmm. you know, what might be wrong, A, with the movie, and then B, what might be wrong with uh, doing a vegan diet if he does even believe that it's wrong at all. And then also why would somebody, like it, I'm of the opinion of it doesn't really make sense to to be on either side so hard. Um, I think that vegetables... Um, I don't know, like if vegetables do anything great for us, like maybe they've been overhyped. I would, that's my opinion. I think they've been overhyped. Um, but I don't think they're like harming anything, at least for my body. I'm not noticing anything now. Maybe it is doing something, but, um, I'm unaware of it. I, I feel great when I eat vegetables. I don't necessarily need to eat them every day. It seems like, like if I eat at home, it's more rare for me to eat vegetables. If I eat out just because it's like, part of like eating at a restaurant they always want to give you sides and so um i'll eat them but i don't in terms of like the bathroom and all that stuff i don't notice any difference whether they're there or not there i don't feel like i need them i don't feel like i personally need fiber but again i don't understand why you would go so hard on one side um unless you had some sort of condition because i like Mm. the way that they i like the way that they help fill me up and sometimes it's just kind of great to have some vegetables like i enjoy the taste of a salad obviously you need to have something on the salad or the salad needs some good stuff in it for it to be worth anything which is usually protein or protein and fat like chicken uh and cheese and things like that and then dumping some olive oil on it stuff like that's all stuff that's very uh common to me but it'd be interesting to talk to dr baker on why someone would have you know lean so hard into one part of it mm-hmm. yeah the documentary itself though it's like I th- I think we were already recording when I mentioned this, but it's it's really uh, messed up how I guess how disingenuous it is in terms of the way it puts forward its data. Like uh, I guess they have good intentions. Andrew, were you recording while you were in the bathroom? No. Okay, so then this wasn't said, but it was. <laughs> it, it's it's the the end goal of the documentary is to help people get healthier, and I think that will help people meet their goal if they're actually taking up and you know 
not eating a bunch of vegan snacks that are high in sugar or whatever. And they're, they're just trying, they're changing their actual diets, but the way that they demonize meat and say it's unhealthy for you, even though it's not, that's really messed up. Like, and it, it just, it mm. makes no sense. What I found really interesting, um, I, I've been under the impression, like a lot of people believe that meat is bad for you, like since I was a kid. Yeah. And then in the documentary, and I've seen this happen in like, uh, in religion where they're like trying to show that everybody else is saying, oh, you guys need to eat meat. And we're like, no, we're the opposite. Like I've, I've been in church before where they're like, oh, people who, uh, you know, you tell somebody like, oh, I'm, you know, this religion or whatever, they look at you weird. And I'm like, no, when I tell somebody I'm not sure, they look at me even way worse, you know? Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting. And then I was thinking, uh, on the previous podcast, we had talked about like where the whole like idea of, uh, of like meat being bad, like where that comes from. I remember being in sixth grade and I don't know why this hit me when I went to the bathroom looking at the impossible sausage, yeah. but, <laughs> uh, I remember in sixth grade, we did like a nutrition course and I think they, they said like for a kid, it's super like the most you can, most meat you can have was like three ounces or something. That's nothing. Yeah. And I remember like the teacher, I was like, well, what's three ounces looks like or look like? And he's like, oh, it's about like the, the palm, like size of your palm. And I'm like, well, I eat way more than that. Yeah. And he was like, oh, it's probably because you're so active. I played basketball like every single day I could. He's like, oh, it's because you're active. So it's, it's probably okay. But like the second you stop working out or stop uh, moving around a lot, like you're going to want to eat much less meat. And ever since then, I remember thinking like, oh, meat, I guess, isn't the healthiest thing to be eating. So in Game Changers, when they say like, oh, the meat companies are sending out propaganda to make it seem like it's the best thing ever. I was like, I think it's been the opposite. Hmm. Well, they yeah. do compare it to cigarettes. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like if they're comparing it to cigarettes, well, we all we don't all know how like Camel did it. They made it sound cool. Mm -hmm. So this documentary is trying to make meat to the meat industry seem like the cigarette industry. Mm -hmm. And also if you're going to build an ideology, right? it always needs to be an us versus them type deal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so they, it can't just be like, this is great for you. They, they can't just say that that's say, this is great for you. And this is very bad for you. And you need to do this because in the long run you'll live longer. And this is the, you, this, you got to demonize this. They need to kind of scare you a little bit. They have to yeah. scare you. Yeah. Scare tactics. All right. Let me send this link out to Sean and then we'll wait for his arrival. But, uh, I mean, as somebody who who does make videos and has done a mini documentary it was done extremely well oh yeah like kudos to everyone that shot that and that was a part of it because that shit looked good and it's very convincing mm -hmm. well it's motherfucking james cameron <laughs> is involved in that so he's all right but you know <laughs> even even from the uh like the the main character or like yeah. the, the the main guy whose name i can't ever remember but like he does really really well mm -hmm. too like uh be narrating that's what i meant to oh say. yeah it, it, there has to be a story you know of how he discovered yeah. this ancient diet from romans i wish i had a, i mm -hmm. wish i had a way to describe to people like how good i feel every day like i don't i never lack energy like i i, I would I shouldn't say never i very very rarely lack energy i always feel like excited and hyped up for every day um i i mean after i eat a meal and stuff like that i don't crash i'm not tired at lunch I wake up super early. I do a lot of shit every single day. I got a wife. I got kids. I got a lot of responsibilities. And I 
have never felt this way before. You know, I've been on these different diets for a while, but I think now I'm finally like really hitting my stride with the combination of like the type of exercise I'm doing um, and the style of diet that I'm eating. And I, I wish I could, I wish I could like hand this to somebody. That's mm-hmm. why I'm so passionate about it. So excited about it all the time. Otherwise I wouldn't be wasting my time yelling about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, I forgot who said it, but they were like, Oh, put my head on your body and I'll, you know, make you healthy. Right. I can't remember who that, I think maybe, uh, Todd Abrams, mm. I think he had said that, but yeah. I mean, is there anybody that like this, like your style of eating or your style of diet or training, like, does it not work for somebody? Sometimes things uh, are hard for people to follow and adhere to. And mm-hmm. so in that case, certainly, Uh-oh. yeah. Drama. Mm-hmm. Hey, there he is. Hey, what's up, guys? Can you hear hey. me okay? What's going on, Dr. Baker? I was just, you know, I was just in the house doing some work and I got your little text message. So good time. I was actually happy to be wearing my little super training shirt today. Oh, so look it's at just, that. It's just, it's just uh, sort of a destiny, I guess. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, we watched your um, review of uh, Game Changers and uh, kind of starting off with uh, question number one because uh, you didn't seem like you were in favor of the movie, let's say. We'll get into more of that later. Um, if you were to make a movie that was to try to uh, show your vantage point of uh, how people can really thrive on a carnivorous diet, uh, how would you go about doing it? Because my understanding is through this film – they tried to like showcase these people doing vegan diets and being successful in sport, which even regardless of how they perform in sport, uh, I think is a really uh, narrow way of trying to prove that something is good for you. Well, I mean, I guess if we wanted to look at it as far as a, a carnivorous standpoint, you know, if you wanted to restrict it to sports or just health in general, I mean, you would take people that, we're at some level, whether it's athletic performance or general health, and you just put them on a, you know, a purely carnivorous diet or, or almost purely carnivorous diet and just follow them and see what happens to them. And you can get kind of get an impression. And I think one of the one of the sort of deceptive things in, in the sort of that vegan film is they took a lot of guys that were uh, athletes, very successful athletes as omnivores, and then they showed them for a brief period as, as a vegan And, you know, for some of them, in fact, the majority of the athletes in that show, if you follow them out a year or two, uh, they end up retired, they end up injured, or they end up seeing uh, decreases in performance. You know, if you you just Google the athletes that were in that movie and you see what happens to them, it's like, man, all these guys are retired or injured. So, I mean, to show that, uh, you know, something can work for a short period of time. And one of the things, one of the criticisms uh, that I have in general, you know, just about, you know, the vegan sort of movement is saying that meat is bad for us when really it's probably the fact that if we cut out the junk food, you know, the processed mm. grain, carbohydrates, seed oil, you know, the Twinkies, the Doritos, the crap that everybody eats. And because, you you know, you guys for sure know, I mean, there, there's tremendous athletes that just eat garbage. I mean, they're genetically uh, very, very a gift that you get guys in the NFL that live on McDonald's or drinking yeah. Cokes and fries and, and just complete garbage. And so when they give that stuff up, I mean, of course they're going to feel better. It doesn't mean, you know, they, they, they are going to become less of an athlete from giving that stuff up. I think what the problem is for an athlete, and this is a nice thing, and we're seeing this play out right now when guys, and, and again, this is not, we can't hundred percent, you know, use this correlation as causation, but we're seeing it happen pretty frequently. Guys like Cam Newton, you know, guys like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Boogie Cousins. I mean, all these guys go on vegan. They lose a bunch of weight. 
and then they get injured. And it's, and you know when you're playing a a, a compact, you know a, a contact sport, basketball, football, man, that's tough to tough to thrive on. But uh, you know, no, I was just kind of kidding. I said, I, you know, Chris and I are going to be hanging out next week, and I said, yeah, that that movie made me want to go vegan. I'm going to try to work on Chris, see if I can switch him. <laughs> you know, I'm curious, Doctor Baker, because Mark and I were just asking this. Now, I mean, and Andrew actually mentioned something interesting. They used a lot of football players, but football in and of itself, like that's a sport where you have players going in and out because of injury. Um, but what do you think was the, the thing that these athletes were missing when they went to a vegan diet that they weren't getting from meat? Like what, what, what was it that was, yeah, what was lost? Well, I think that, you, you know, I mean, the, the movie was basically focused on protein, you know, because the big criticism of the vegan diet is where are you going to get your protein from? Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, you certainly can eat enough food and balance it out to get the right amount of amino acids. It's just harder to do. And so, when you make something hard for somebody, it's really hard to do consistently. And I think if I told you you had to jump through 25 hoops every day to make a diet, you know, make sense, so you're just barely covering your bases, and then mm-hmm. that, that, there's a lot of room for error in there. And so we have problems with that. But just besides the protein, I mean, there are things in animal products that are very effective for health and things like creatine, which is, you know, as you guys know, it's one of the few supplements that's ever been shown to, to actually work. You know, we're talking outside, we're, we're talking outside of PEDs and stuff like that, but just creatine in itself, there's carnosine, there's, you know, carnitin, there's, there's taurine. Uh, there's a whole host of things. We know that the proteins are more bioavailable. They're in the right ratios. You know, we could start looking at things like branch chains, amino acids, particularly things like lysine and leucine. Um, animal sources are by far the way to go. And so when we start putting in the, the, the vegan proteins where it's the pea products, and, and I think to be an athlete, you're really going to be dependent upon these isolates, you know, these soy isolates, these pea protein isolates, and those really are maybe not the best source of getting these things, and there can be some potential issues with that. And so I think that's an issue. Now, I also, you know, depend, and it depends what's in their diet. I can't speak to every individual, but I mean, mm-hmm. there are things in the diet that cause problems with our tissues, whether it's uh, advanced glycation end products from fructose or glucose, uh, high levels of fructose, for instance, you know, people drinking sodas and not these athletes are drinking a lot of Cokes, but that does occur and it causes the proteins and, and other uh, tissues in our bodies to not function as well. And so uh, we also see things like the seed oils. And so a lot of people that push a vegan diet are, some of them are talking about low oil, but I mean, when you talk about energy needs for an athlete, you got to get calories from somewhere. So you can either load up super high carb or you can put some fats in there and often uh, depending on what they're eating if they're eating vegan, vegan products are getting a lot of uh, you know maybe it's soybean oil maybe it's you know safflower corn oil canola oil those things also seem to have detrimental effects on our tissues and they, they, they accumulate in the tissue membranes and what happens in my experience in, in observing the population is that we see greater and greater injury rates and so therefore you know if your tissues are not healthy I mean it doesn't make too much it doesn't take too much uh, sort of thought to think that if I've got, you know, tissues that are that are not performing well and potentially weaker, you're going to be more likely to be injured. And then when we, we see these athletes getting injured, it seems like the recovery takes a long time. You know, I, you know, mm-hmm. we can point to, to number of them, number of the examples of athletes. You know, Bill Walton was a good example. Bill Walton from the NBA, you know, guy played for the, uh, you know, UCLA and then and then a career in the NBA where he had a long career and he made it, but he had you know, injury after injury after injury, his bones were break, basically deteriorating. I mean, he ended up with something like 37 operations. Oh you know? So this is a, wow. you know, this is a significant issue with that. So I think there's, um, you know, a lot of things that we know that are problematic and missing or very difficult to obtain. And it might be that you have to eat, you know, 
people like to talk about the comparisons between beef and, and beans, for instance, but to get the bioavailable protein in the right ratios to say to get the leucine and lysine requirements, you might be asked to eat, you know, two, three cups of beans. And I mean, that, that doesn't do anybody any favors is digest, digestive issues. And it's just technically hard to do for many people. So I think that's probably more than anything what's going on. How simple is the diet that you, that you've been suggesting personally, how simple is, uh, this carnivore style diet? Like, uh, do we need to be conscious of certain supplementation? Uh, do I need to eat some weird exotic foods? Do I need, you know, salmon eggs or liver, or is it pretty much just eat a bunch of steak and hamburger meat and don't worry about it? Yeah, Mark, I'm, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for three years now and I haven't keeled over and, you know, still doing pretty well. I think that, you know, if we focus on getting our nutrition from animal source products, you know, and I think that, uh, probably ruminant meat. So that's, that's kind of cow, deer, you know, sheep, things like that. So it tends to be a very, very, uh, sort of complete nutrition for most people. In fact, there's a, I posted a recent study up on my Instagram talking about isotopic data out of, out of, uh, you know, paleolithic Europe from about 40,000 years ago. And it looks like those guys, both, uh, Cro-Magnon and the, what they consider upper paleo, upper paleolithic modern humans, thrived on a diet of basically mammoth and reindeer. I mean, they didn't even eat much fish based on some of the isotopic data. So there's probably good historical precedence that this is kind of what human food sort of started out to be. Now, the diet that I expose is basically, you know, get get a good amount of that. And I think that's where your nutrition basically comes from. And then if you want to add some eggs in there, some fish in there, if you feel like putting some liver and salmon eggs or whatever. And then the same thing goes with, um, you know, like the way I define a carnivore diet is it's a meat or an animal source diet, you know, focusing on nutrient dense foods. And then the plants are either eliminated or minimized as needed mm. for health benefits. So that doesn't mean, you know, you have to sit there and only eat steaks every day. Like some people seem to think I, 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 I'm a proponent. Of that. I think you've got to find out what works for you. I think get your nutrition from that. Like I said, if I were a professional athlete, you know, I think probably you should be getting 70% of your calories coming from high quality animal source nutrition. And then the rest of it, you can, you can toggle up and down. Some people may do better with more. Some people might need, you know, a little bit, you know, source of carbohydrate, depending on the sport, depending on the activity length, depending on the actual athlete. I mean, the American diet right now is a plant-based diet. We eat 70% of our calories coming from plants mm. and meat is only about 10% of our caloric input. You know, most of that animal sources is, is largely dairy. I mean, it's, it's meat. I mean, it's milk, it's cheese, it's yogurt. So meat is only a tiny part of the American diet. And so we're sitting there blaming all these ills on the fact that we eat two, 2.4 ounces of red meat on average as an American. That's it. That, you know, two ounces of meat is nothing. And, and if you look at the vast majority of the rest of the diet and, and try to blame it all on this red meat, it becomes silly. And so what happens when you flip that around and you say, I'm going to focus on red meat, not make it a condiment, like some people are calling it, they're calling it a condiment, like Dr. Mark Harmon, you know, a little, little sliver of meat on there for flavor so you don't die, and then a bunch of spinach and quinoa and, and that stuff. I think the opposite should occur. I think you, you should make meat the center of your meal, and then the rest of the stuff is your flavor, your enhancement, if you like some spices, if you want a little little bit of company in there, but don't don't depend on that stuff as your nutrition. I mean, it's, it's clear. I mean, you know, Stan... Efforting, you know, his mm -hmm. big athletes. I mean, those guys are pounding five, six pounds of meat a day, and then he's throwing out the rest so they can get more calories because it's hard. And one of the reasons the diet works so well is because of the satiety effect. I mean, it's 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 kind of hard to eat a lot of meat. I mean, I, I you know, I've done 
you know, four, five, six, even eight pounds in one day. But that's a, that's a struggle, man. That that's tough. And I know he's shaking his head, but we got you know Molly Schuyler I had on my podcast. She's a a female competitive eater. Yeah, she only weighs about a buck twenty. She threw down twenty two pounds of meat in one sitting. Whoa, holy shit! <laughs> she was at a restaurant, you know, taking up this meat challenge, and the record was ten pounds. And she wow. came in there as prime rib. She came in there, crushed ten pounds. Says, "Can I keep going?" I said, "Sure." So she got to 15, she got to 20, she got to 22, and they said, we got no more meat. We ran out. So she cleared out the entire restaurant. That's awesome. That's impressive. Don't you kind of think, like, if you put someone on this diet, and let's say that they're able to follow it, some people are coming from a place where they really haven't ever even tried to diet, so the transition might be rough uh, because now they're not eating any carbohydrates and stuff. But do you think and do you maybe even encourage people just, just have at it, like, eggs and uh ground beef and steak and maybe like butter just like just i think you eat butter too right maybe just tell people hey man just go for it because after a while you're gonna stop eating that much food and over the course of weeks and months you'll start to lose weight yeah i mean there's a couple things about the transition so you know i there's two things that are gonna make a diet fail one you don't like the food and two, you're hungry all the time. I mean, those things are incompatible with long-term maintenance of a mm-hmm. diet. So if, if I tell you you got to eat a bunch of raw liver every day and you don't like it, guess what? The odds of you staying there is not very high. And again, the nutri- it doesn't matter how nutritious something like that is. The nutritional value of a food you do not like is effectively zero because you're not going to eat it. So it doesn't yeah. matter, right? I mean, if I said dog shit was very nutritious, <laughs> who cares? No one's going to eat it, right? So so, I mean, when you, when you talk about how to transition, I, I tell people, and when I consult with people, I say, man, you got to just find things you like, you know, they're basically animal foods. And it could be eggs, it could be bacon, it could be, you know, steak, it could be hamburger, it could be, you know, pork chops, it could be, you know, some dairy, it could be some cheese, just load up on that stuff. You know, in the beginning, don't worry about gaining or losing weight, just work on transitioning because one of the big issues is cravings for a lot of people. And we all know, you know, you can go, you can go on a diet, Two weeks, three weeks, you can be disciplined, and then all of a sudden, man, you somebody just you're hungry, and there's that little little uh, tray of cookies there, and you're like, man, I'm just gonna have me one, mm-hmm. and then you know, 20 minutes go by, and you just down off the whole damn you know whole damn thing. You know, we've all done that. You know, Mark, I know when you were when you used to be a giant ginormous job of the hut guy. I mean, it was like <laughs> gallons of ice cream. And I did that stuff too when I was 300 pounds. I mean, you could just you know, it's fun, man. You could just eat and gorge yourself and lay there like a freaking swollen alligator. <laughs> Yeah, this is great. And, you know, you feel like crap. Well, now I'm doing the same thing with meat. Yeah, but you can do it with meat and it's harder. And it's, it's you know, and we can talk about uh, some of the advantages. And I, and I know the guys like Lane and those guys, Lane Norton, are always like calories in, calories out. But they always disregard protein. And, I mean, there's clear protein overfeeding studies. Guys like Jose Antonio and others have done it show that you can dump, you know, 200 grams of protein into somebody's system and they don't gain weight or body fat. I mean, they preserve lean muscle mass and they don't gain fat. And so there are some differences and nuances between what you're eating uh, from a caloric standpoint. And it's not that the calories don't matter, but there are, you know, like I said, it's, it's not just a linear straight, it's straightforward type thing. But yeah, from the transition standpoint, beginning variety, use seasoning, use spices, use whatever to make it palatable to you personally, something you can do. If I tell you, Hey man, you got to eat plain ground beef every day for the rest of your life. No one wants to do that. I wouldn't want to do that. I mean, what happens over time is you eventually evolve into like, man, I really like, you know, things like a ribeye steak or some brisket or some ribs or something like that. That really fits the bill for me. It provides me the flavor and the the fat guys kind of gives me some fuel because I think 
you know, this is a difference between like a straight up keto diet where it's all macro dependent and we're like, we've got to hit enough fat. I think, you know, you've got to hit this certain percentage of fat and often it's 80% or still. With this, I think it's just you need enough fat. And what enough fat is for you individually is going to vary. Some guys are 50-50. I mean, when you're really trying to get lean like, like you guys are and getting down at low body fat level, you, you, you can't eat, you can't gorge on fat. I mean, you can eat some and you can eat enough to keep your hormones functioning, to keep your satiety going, keep your mood elevated. But you can eat a little bit leaner, I think, at that point. And it, it just depends, you know, where you want to be. But I think from the normal person, um, just eating meat to satiety works pretty well for everybody. There's exceptions to that. There are, I've seen people that have gained weight and gotten fat on the diet. I mean, that certainly can occur. But that tends to be pretty unusual, quite honestly. In the uh, in the documentary, the Game Changers, they had made a claim that basically said that uh, uh, eating meat will cause a lot of inflammation, and it's because it, I think it was because it doesn't have any antioxidants the way uh, you know plants do. Does that make any sense, or is there any truth to any of that? Um, so this is a, the interesting thing about the antioxidants. And I, I think even if you look at guys like David Sinclair, who, you know, write the recent book on longevity, he was on Rogan's podcast a couple times, you know, the thought that antioxidants, particularly exogenous antioxidants are really doing much for us. So we know that if we take antioxidants in a form of a pill, you know, vitamin C, uh, some of these other antioxidants, you can, it doesn't really do any good at all. And often it can be harmful. The body has a really hard time actually absorbing those antioxidants, whether they come from a plant or a pill. And once they get them in the system, a lot of times they're just kind of detoxified. You know, they don't they don't really work well with our system. We have our own endogenous antioxidant system. Glutathione is one of the big ones that everybody knows about. Uric acid is actually an antioxidant. There's other things like superoxide dismutase. There's cystathione and a whole host of other endogenous antioxidants. And we know that often being in a low-carbohydrate state will upregulate those antioxidants. Uh, things like carnosine, which is exclusive to meat, uh, also is a very potent antioxidant. And so uh, to say that there's no antioxidants in meat is actually uh, is, is actually a misstatement. And the fact that we have our own anti antioxidant system, and it works well when we let it do itself, there's supposed to be some level of oxidation and some level of reduction of that oxida oxidation, and that's our own internal system. When we're dumping these exogenous things in there, that kind of disrupts that mechanism. And so there's really... You know, the you know, if you look at an antioxidants, that theory has sort of fallen out of favor. I mean, this is like, you know, they're kind of quoting sort of theories from 20, 30 years ago. And, and we, we, as we've come to know more and more about this stuff, we find out that maybe those things aren't true. And it's the same thing with well, quite a few of the things they say in there, the cholesterol stuff and, uh, you know, those types of things, the, the saturated fat clogging the arteries, all, all those types of things are occurring. But I will tell you, again, one of the big problems with modern nutrition research is we don't have particularly good studies. What we do is we do these large population-derived studies called epidemiology where we ask people, hey, what did you eat? How many cups of ribs did you eat in the last six months? And people are like, cups of ribs? Hmm. What are you talking about? But you got to figure that stuff out and you got to guess what you ate for the last six months. And they'll do it once or twice in 10 or 20 years and they'll try to you know, figure out that data and say that this causes this disease or this causes that disease. And it's a very inefficient, ineffective highly flawed, highly biased way to do this. And so, but when you start looking at people that like, you know, in my cohort where we're only eating meat, and I think your brother Chris and yourself, Mark, for a period of time, myself, when we look at our inflammatory markers, and I've seen literally hundreds and hundreds of these inflammatory markers, they're almost always consistently extremely low. 
you know, C-reactive protein consistently below one, you know, high sensitivity C-reactive protein. So at the end of the day, when we actually look at it in the human system, you know, over a period of time, meat seems to be very anti-inflammatory. You know, I just got back from a, uh, uh, a little uh, speaking engagement down in Malaysia at this integrative medicine conference. One of the speakers was doing uh, gastrointestinal food sensitivity and testing, looking, using, it, uh, using uh, antibodies, immunoglobulins. And what he saw after doing something like a quarter of a million tests every year for 20 years, he almost never sees anyone having a negative immune reaction to red meat, mm. you know, which is just striking. And I mean, all these other foods have it, even, you know, things like eggs and fish, uh, chicken, dairy, you know, from an animal source, they do tend to have reaction, but, but, but the plants are all over the place. I mean, there's tons of people with gluten and, you know, oxalates and all these other compounds that we see that, that are causing problems. What are some reasons why you've seen people um, get off of a vegan diet? I know like I've seen like on your Instagram, you've talked about uh, people having issues with their teeth and with their hair. And like, um, is that just because people aren't maybe, maybe they're not knowledgeable enough on how to properly follow a vegan diet or like what's kind of happening to these people? What, why have you seen some people hop off of it before? Yeah, I mean, they, you know, there was an informal study done, you know, four or five years ago, and they saw something like 84% of the people that went on vegan vegetarian diets end up leaving it. And, for, and the mo- number one reason was health issues. But honestly, I mean, certainly there are some out there uh, that are just doing it wrong, or the vegans would say they're doing it wrong. They're just eating junk food or eating processed vegan food. And, th- and this is what we see, you know, the same thing that makes fat omnivores or meat eaters is the junk food. And it's the same thing that makes these fat sick vegans. And so that, that certainly cohort is there, but then there's also issues where, uh, you know, some people lack, you know, some of the, some of the actual enzyme systems or conversion factors, the genetic makeup to handle a plant heavy diet. You know, vitamin A is one that's often talked about. You know, we often hear about beta carotene and carrots. That's not actually the form of vitamin A that we can use as humans. We have to convert it into retinol. And, and many people lack the, uh, the capacity to do that. To a, to a great degree. So some people really struggle with converting vitamin A. And so those people may fall out more quickly. Uh, the issue, like I said, it, it requires, uh, you know, very high levels of knowledge for many people on this diet to be constantly, you know, balancing your food, supplementing appropriately. And many people just can't do that. I mean, it's, it's just sometimes too hard to eat that way. It's, it's, it's not intuitive for most people unless you're very regimented. And so, you know, we're seeing, you're certainly, we're seeing dental problems. A lot of people develop cavities, gum, gum disease, they lose teeth. Um, you know, this tends to be over a period of time. A lot of people struggle with mental health issues. I mean, there's quite a bit of evidence showing that, you know, things like low cholesterol, things like uh, chronically deficient carnitine, again, carnitine, our body can manufacture, but we know that in uh, plant-based dieters, whether vegan, vegetarian, their carnitine levels are low in both the muscle and the serum. Same thing with their uh, levels of creatine and all of those things have a benefit on brain health. And so we may see, you know, mood disorders, you know, depression, uh, anxiety issues. I've seen, I've seen people with uh, a lot of gastrointestinal issues. You know, a lot of people develop irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, for some people, it's just that high, high chronic exposure to lots and lots of fiber and perhaps sugary stuff. It seems to disrupt, you know, the gut permeability for whatever reason. Um, you know, I mean, there, you know, a lot of people, I mean, despite these athletes that showed a lot of people that can't afford all the protein powders and, and, and some of that stuff do end up problems with, you know, they, they lose muscle mass. I mean, that's, you know, the common stereotype of a vegan is a skinny guy, you know, with no muscle. And that's a stereotype for a reason, because it does occur. It's not that there aren't guys, athletes out there that have, that have kind of shown to be the exception, 
but I mean, there are a number of people that, you know, really struggle with that. You know, we, we, we see that, uh, a pretty, pretty common. I, I know after this movie game changes come out, I, I've seen like athletes like Kai green, the bodybuilder talking about, maybe I'm going to do a vegan diet and, uh, Michael Bisping, you know, the UFC, former UFC fighter talking about this stuff. And it's interesting to see, you know, I think Kai green, you know, he's got so much muscle mass, you know, it might take him a couple of years to, you know, to lose some of that stuff because he's, he's just that, got that, that physiologic reserve built up. And that's the other thing we see. Most of the people that are, that are adopting a vegan diet are younger people that have good physiologic reserve. They're, I mean, they're, they're, they're as good as you can get. And so it takes them a while to sort of, you know, lose some of that stuff. So they may be able to last for, you know, a year or two or three years. And, and certainly there's some that have, that have toughed it out for, decades and uh, you know interestingly you would think if you've made it past a 10-year point you know you're golden but i consistently see people that are 10 12 13 16 25 year vegan vegetarians that say i had enough i just got too sick and they eventually quit yeah i think it's a first off everybody that's listening to this should go watch your video where you went over the whole game changes documentary it's 51 minutes but it's great but i think um a great thing that you pointed out was that first off a lot of these athletes started off with meat got big got then went vegan but another thing that i didn't even realize was that um a lot of people that were claiming plant-based i mean that doesn't mean that they're vegan you know can can you explain that a little bit too yeah i mean it's it's kind of interesting it's kind of convenient that that some people will claim like athletes like tom brady for instance you know they're all tom brady's plant-based and while it's kind of true that he eats more vegetables than the average American, you know, because he's, you know, you know, again, reading the accounts and, and without actually watching Tom Brady, eat, I can't say for sure. But if, if the accounts of what he eats are true, I mean, 20 percent of his calories are coming from or 20 percent of his food, rather, is coming from uh, red meat, fish and uh, I believe eggs. And that is more than the average American. I mean, the average American, that may only make up 10% of our diet. So he's actually eating twice as much red meat, eggs, and fish than the average American would eat. And then the rest is just not junk food. And I think that's the important part. Eat meat, don't eat junk food, and you're going to perform well. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for Tom Brady's success. I mean, the system he plays in. I mean, if you look, he's not obviously a great, tremendous, fast, strong athlete, but he's a smart guy that works well in that system. And he's, you know, he's a pocket passer in that position. Uh, in that situation, whereas Cam Newton, you know, he's a runner. He's a guy that's out there like a running back almost. And so now he's 30 years old and very, quite frankly, his career may be done. I mean, I, I don't know that he'll recover from that injury effectively and, you know, to be able to run again like he was. And if he can't do that, how well he'll adapt to, to, to the pocket, you know, may be an issue. And so he may, he may lose his job because of that. And whether, whether the diet caused the injury or not, that's up to debate, but it certainly didn't help it in my view. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a host of athletes, you know, you can talk about it in the film. I mean, almost the entire Tennessee Titan group that they showed in the video, I, I recorded all their names and I looked at what happened to them. And I think all but one of those guys saw just their career go go to hell. I mean, they just either quit. And, you know, again, it's the NFL. Everybody gets hurt yeah. in the NFL. I understand that. But I mean, you know, it's like it's kind of odd when seven out of eight yeah. guys, all of them. Yeah, and they tried. Yeah, they tried to use it to explain their side of the story, and it was just absolutely ridiculous. Because why would you take Conor McGregor, the greatest fighter of all time, who just you know he, he ended up getting beat by Nate Diaz, who they say is a uh, vegan, and it's just a it's a weird thing. It's like 
uh, Conor McGregor has previously won multiple titles. He's done stuff in the UFC that no one's ever done. So it's, it's a horrible example. Of course, he's lost one time. He's lost a couple times. Like they all end up losing eventually in the UFC. And not only that, but he avenged that loss the very next fight. Yeah, like that, that <laughs> whole narrative one, yeah. made no sense. Yeah. Talk yeah, about I mean, I, it, it makes little sense to me to take one of the best athletes in the world and say, look at this guy, he eats a ton of meat, and then go on later and say that meat kills your performance. I mean, the whole premise of the movie was meat makes you a worse athlete, you know, because of blood flow and other stuff. But then they, then they use an example of one of the greatest guys of all time saying, I eat two steaks a day. You're like, well, that sort of doesn't seem to match your narrative. And, and if, you look, if you look at the best athletes of all time, I mean, there's literally – literally thousands upon thousands example of, of guys that thrive eating meat, whether they're eating a lot or at least some. So to say it detracts from athletic performance really doesn't match the narrative at all. Yeah. They use kind of uh, obscure athletes too, like people that a lot of people haven't really maybe heard of, especially in the general public. Uh, maybe some of us have, cause we follow some of these sports. Um, they, you mentioned uh, Kendrick Ferris in there as an Olympic lifter. And I think you said he had like a, a two kilo PR or something like that. And they were saying that he made it to the Olympics, you know, on this vegan diet, but he's previously been to the Olympics several times, right? Yeah. I mean, Kenner's, I mean, he, no, not to take anything away from the guy, the guy's an incredible athlete. I mean, he, when I, I remember when he came on the scene, he was just, he was freaking everybody out. Yeah. This is back in 2008 when he was an, you know, he was a meat eater clearly. And I mean, he went to the Olympics and he did well. I mean, he, in the 84 kilo class, uh, you know, I think he totaled, I think it was like 350, 362, right? That was his total in the 84 kilo class. And he did that. And again, in the 2012 Olympics, he did it again as a meat eater. And he totaled about the same. I think it was 350, 350, uh, uh, 357 at that time. And then in somewhere in 2014, he went vegan. And it was questionable how vegan he went because he might have still been eating whey protein, so it was kind of questionable. And we saw, you know, that he hit a two kilo PR, but they don't tell you that he already had the record. I mean, it was his own record, and he and he went up, you know, two kilos, which is, I mean, it's good, but I mean, it's not like he jumped, you know, you know, he made a huge jump, and it could have just been cutting out junk food. And and this is a few months into going vegan, or you know, maybe not that long into going vegan. And then as we see him follow follow him over time, he then gets to the Olympics at a bigger weight class. He was in now in the 90, you know, now he's in the 94 kilo class or 95 kilo class or whatever. I think it was 85 and then 94. So he's, he's, he's nine kilos heavier, which is about 20 pounds. He actually totals worse than he did, you know, eight years ago as a lighter weight guy. And, and he has the worst performance of his Olympic career. Shortly after that, I think he does an, an event, he gets injured and he doesn't do anything again. And so he's, you know, you just see this collapse of a career and it, it, it team seems to follow this, six months to 18 month pattern where we see these guys, you know, they, they may do better initially, but when they get out, when they get the, the French fries and Cokes out of their diet and then they start to start to go down mm. and that's, that's pretty consistent. When or where did this idea that meat is bad for us come from? We were trying to figure it out. We just were talking about it a little bit earlier. Like, why is that still a thing? You know, if you post a picture of meat, somebody will be like, isn't that unhealthy? <laughs> Well, I mean, if we look at the origins of the nutrition field in general, starting back in 1917 with the American Dietetics Association, this is founded by one of the members was a guy named Lena Cooper, who was a strong uh, advocate of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And Seventh-day Adventist Church produced guys like the Kellogg's brothers that were back in the 1900s, you know, genitally, genitally mutilating people to, to uh, prevent them from masturbating and having sex and 
you know, they, they were, they were circumcising females and doing all this crazy stuff. And one of the things they were doing is they felt that meat caused carnal desires, lust. It made you masturbate. It made you want to have sex, increase your libido. So they took the meat out of the diet. They replaced it with cornflakes, you know, very bland foods. And that was what was, you know, some of these people going into to found the nutrition field back in 1917 were exposed to it and believed in. And so we had this sort of anti-meat, pro-vegetarian bias from the very beginning. And, and so that, you know, when we look at, you know, some of the, you know, a lot of the researchers out there, a lot of people that go into nutrition, do this out of a, almost a religious conviction or a passion. And they really believe that, you know, meat is bad and, and not, not to mention the, the sort of the ethical beliefs that meat is something we should avoid and plants are going to keep us healthy and we should eat as much as possible. And so, you know, then we have all this epidemiology, which, you know, again, you're, if you're told, if I tell you, Mark, that smoking is bad for you and you say, okay, I'm not going to smoke because I think it's bad for me and I'm also going to lift weights and train and, and, you know, eat healthy. I mean, it's pretty easy to say, okay, those people that smoke are going to be people that don't care. Most people that smoke don't work out. They don't, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't eat well. You know, that, that's, that's a pretty consistent thing. So the same thing happens with meat. We call it the healthy user bias. And so when I tell you meat is bad for you, particularly red meat, and this has been going on since the forties and fifties, you know, when Eisenhower had his heart attack in the 50s, so people are like, meat is bad, meat is bad, meat is bad. So everybody that eats meat basically doesn't care because you're like, well, I don't care if meat's bad. I don't care. I don't really care about my health. I'm just going to smoke and I'm going to drink. I'm not going to exercise. I just don't give a fuck, you know? And so these are, this, this is the cohort of people you have uh, that are meat eaters. And, and, and when you survey those folks, you're not surveying guys like me that care about their health and exercise or guys like you guys that work out and stay lean and, you know, don't have diseases and still eat meat. Those people are, are a small minority of the people. Uh, but when you, so th this is where it comes from. And then there's, you know, when we look at like even the World Health Organization that in 2015 said, you know, red meat is a class two carcinogen and, and processed meats a class one carcinogen. When that study came out, uh, there was a guy named Professor David Clearfield who was on that panel and he basically said, a high percentage of the people on that panel were Seventh-day Adventists, vegans, and vegetarians, ethical, you know, ethical vegans and vegetarians. And he asked that that be declared as a conflict of interest during that proceeding. And he was told, nope, we don't care. We're not going to mention that. And also, I mean, they just threw out all the evidence that didn't match their narrative. He was like, well, what about this study that shows that meat's not bad? No, we don't care about that. So he said it was one of the most frustrating experiences of his life because they just clearly went through with an agenda, clearly cherry-picked the data. Uh, and now we saw, as you guys probably saw, the Nutrix uh, sort of thing came out, you know, beginning of October, where they said, "Look, we're going to go back through and re-examine all the data on red meat, and use a higher standard of evidence. We're not going to settle for this nutritional epidemiology. It's got all kinds of confounders. We're going to use randomized controlled trials, you know, prospective studies, and give those higher weight. And when they did that, they say, "Man, there's really no evidence that shows meat is either causative of heart disease or cancer." And so that's kind of where we're at today. And of course, that's getting a lot of backlash, you know, because the people that are invested in the, in the narrative that, that meat is bad for us really want us to keep doing that. And so the good news is there's going to be more studies coming out. I know that there's going to be another large study coming out that shows that, that uh, meat is not bad. And then I know I'm going to be involved in a study uh, with a major university looking at the carnivore population. We're going to get some of this data in there. And I think it's going to be very favorable. So the, you know, there, there's some scientific changes that are going on, but there's a lot of you know, I mean, the historical stuff we talked about, the current stuff, I mean, there's just a big market out there. I mean, there's a lot of money in plant-based foods. I mean, this is what happened, you know, 
uh, we, we saw that Silicon Valley woke up to the investment potential. They're like, hey, we can, we can, you know, the fake meat market is potentially a $100 billion market, and we want a piece of that pie, and we're going to invest in that. And so there's something like $5.7 trillion of capital coming from corporations that are trying to create this niche market so they can sort of, you know, what we're going to do, we're going to demonize meat eaters, say it's unhealthy, say it's bad for the environment, we're going to say it's unethical, we're going to guilt people into buying our product, which right now it's all just processed garbage. I mean, you guys see the Beyond Meat, the Impossible Burger, it's just 20 ingredient chemistry experiment, it's pea protein isolate and soybean oil, you know, basically, or some combination of that, which is clearly not health food. You know, but they're selling. You know, they're selling it at McDonald's and Burger King, and I mean, generally that's junk food anyway. So it's not going to make that big of a difference. But it's just a, you know, it's a way to get more cheap, highly profitable product product on the market. You know, Doctor Picker, I'm curious because you, I know you definitely have a great answer for this. Outside of athletes like fighters, right? Who you know they want to eat a lot of carbohydrates because you know it helps them, you know, with their performance. And outside of athletes. Are there any populations that you think thrive better or feel better with carbohydrates or with higher carbohydrates? Are there any populations from what you know, or will, would everybody do better with lesser carbohydrates and a bit more meat in their diet? You know, it's hard to make general, broad sweeping uh, generalizations yeah. on, on any of these types of things. But, you know, I, I think that all human beings are evolved to eat meat. I mean, that's clearly part of our evolutionary upbringing. You know, if you believe, and there's some people that, that discount that argument, but I think in my view, that's pretty solid that, that humans have eaten meat. Now, depending on how long we want to say humans go back, you know, some people will use 300,000 years at the beginning of Homo sapiens. Some people will use 3 million years starting with Homo habilis. And some people will use a creationist view where it's, you know, several thousand years. But regardless of what your viewpoint is, human beings have been eating meat in pretty much every single culture since we have been alive, you know, and, and so that's been a, that's been a part indigenous tribes, you know, they, they, they hover anywhere between 30 to 70% of their calories. Some, and some even higher, some 95, 98%, depending on what part of the world you're in. So I think every human has a capacity to, uh, you know, do well on meat. Now the carbohydrate thing is going to be more in my view, a tolerance standpoint, mm. you know, if you tolerate them, uh, and, and, and again, this is a, this is another misconception. I don't think there's anything wrong with glucose. I mean, there's people that, that, that demonize glucose, but our body makes glucose. I mean, I, you know, I make plenty of glucose, even though I don't eat it. We need glucose. Glucose is a vital molecule. So I don't necessarily think glucose is necessarily bad. Now, it may be that wild fluctuations and uncontrolled, you know, amounts are problematic, but having that, you know, in, in a level that you need to fuel your activities, I think is okay. I think the problem with the, the foods is, are what is what they're packaged with. And so for some people, you know, they may say, well, I like, you know, eating a bunch of almonds and that's fine. You know, there's carbohydrates in there. There's some fat, there's some protein in almonds, but it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily one of those macronutrients. It might be the high oxalate content. You know, that some people oxalates cause gut disturbances. A lot of people have gut problems with nuts. Some people end up with kidney stones from oxalates. In fact, the number one cause of kidney stones are calcium oxalate crystals, which come from plant foods like, you know, uh, almonds, you know, leafy green vegetables, you know, things of that nature. And so, um, so I don't think there's, I, I think it's really, you know, again, I hate to be sort of a pansy on this, but it's, it's somewhat individualistic. Mm. I think that I honestly think that the vast majority of people on earth would do very well on a fully meat or almost fully meat based diet. I think that's pretty clear to me. Does, does do the vast majority of people need to do that? Certainly not. I don't think they need to. And I think there's some people, uh, 
you know, Mark has done this is his time in the carnivore sphere. And I think what he finds is he hovers around that. You know, you find that meat is a very good source of nutrition and you may go off the rails, you know, for, uh, you know, a period of time here and there, but you always kind of come back to a meat-based diet. And I think most people that do that find that it's the most well-tolerated food on digestion, on making you feel good, perform good. And then the other foods tend to kind of, kind of, kind of wave up and down. And, and then in the book, I, you know, in the book, I talk about that. I think, you know, there's people that are carnivore adjacent where they're, you know, maybe they're, you know, 70 to 90% carnivore. And I think that's just fine as well. I think the problem is, you know, again, we have a, uh, you know, a Western diet that is just not even anywhere close to what we're designed to eat. In the, uh, actually, sorry, in a few min- minutes ago, you had said uh, that the Kellogg's guy was trying to remove meat because it was uh, making libido skyrocket. But in the in the documentary, <laughs> although it was a rudimentary, uh, you know, test or whatever, they showed that um, taking meat out and eating a vegetarian diet would make your erection stronger and last longer in comparison to having meat in your diet. What do you think about that? You know, again, you know, and the guy, it's kind of funny, the guy that the urologist actually lives in my town. So he's probably one of my damn neighbors. So I don't know who the guy is, but I mean, so, I mean, you know, he even says this is not a, an scientific experiment. And, and, and I think that should be emphasized. I mean, they take two guys or three guys and they feed them some burrito. One has, you know, one day it has meat and the next day it has, you know, fake meat products. Right. And so we don't know what happened on day one. I mean, maybe they went out drinking that night. You know, who knows? You know, celebrate. Maybe, uh, maybe having that device on your leg the first night is very distressing. You don't sleep well because you're uncomfortable and you're not used to it. I mean, there are so many possible confounding variables. Maybe that was the fifth group they shot. I mean, we don't know. Maybe they, maybe it took them five tries to get the result they wanted. I mean, we don't know anything about that. This is pure propaganda. It's not a scientific study. Um, you know, I can, you know, again, I can speak to myself and I can tell what people tell me. I mean, libido is very good on a meat-based diet. I mean, I wake up every day, for, you know, pitching the tent, you know, I'm like, I'm 50, you know 50, almost 53 years old age. And this is an improvement, you know, from where, well, I mean, not that it was ever bad. I mean, I'm still pretty good. It's still pretty solid usually, but it's even better, you know, as, as a carnivore. And, and, you know, there's actually data out there in your urology journals looking at, for instance, carnitine, which we know, again, is a meat-based compound, is actually even more effective than testosterone in, in improving erectile dysfunction. So uh, whatever, you know, whatever they did with that one, one night little goofy little propaganda experiment is, is, is not likely to hold up under rigorous scrutiny. And, and this is a, this is a problem with that. It's just a publicity stunt. I mean, we could very easily do the same thing and, you know, show the exact opposite result. You know, we could just here guys have have you plant-based burger and then, and then don't get any sleep and go, go drink six tequilas. I mean, I, again, I don't know what happened. No one knows what happened. You know, like I said, it's, it's, it's just, you know, we just don't know. What's uh what's your biggest uh, problem with kind of like what's going on? Like a lot of your posts on Instagram, they some, well, many of them seem inflammatory. You seem like frustrated. So what are some things that are maybe like frustrating you that people are like missing? Well, I mean, as you know, Mark, we're, we're kind of in the entertainment industry at this point, you get on social <laughs> media. So you, you, you kind of have to just, you know, kind of, you know, play the fool sometimes just to get attention. And then hopefully people start listening. You know, anytime I put up a study, a serious study, you know, it's like, you know, I get about a third of the response rate. Well, yeah, that's nice. It's more, but then you put up some silly vegan thing and I get, 10 times as much response. And so it's about getting the message out there. But I mean, to, to be honest, the true frustrations I have are not that, 
you know, people are doing whatever diet they want to. I'm fully supportive of if you want to do whatever diet you want, if you want to eat potatoes every day for the rest of your life, go for it. It's your business. I think maybe on kids, we should probably maybe sort of draw some lines on that. I think there's some problems with kids doing this stuff. But honestly, I think the sort of, you know, constant misinformation, the constant propaganda, the constant demonization of meat, I don't think is based on good science. I think the uh, outright just lies that are out there, I think it's it's something we need to c- combat. And the problem is, this is, you know, this, and we can, we can liken this to a, like a political campaign. Whoever says something the most and the loudest over and over again, that's what people believe is the truth. Mm-hmm. And right now we have a very vocal minority that is screaming into a megaphone 24-7, 365 days a year, getting their message out there, and they are influencing people that don't have the desire, the energy, or the concern to look it up and challenge their data. So people are swallowing it as gospel, and they don't really, they, they, oh, yeah, I guess they should go plant-based. They don't even think about that. You know, that's why we get guys like Michael Bisping and Kai Green thinking we're going vegan. I mean, that's, they looked into this stuff realistically. They would, they would maybe really reconsider that stuff. But we are seeing some policy being directed towards this stuff. So we're seeing like New York. Uh, the New York mayor, uh, uh, I forget his name now, but anyway, he, uh, you know, Meatless Monday, every public school in New York, every mm-hmm. kid in New York has no meat option on Monday. Okay. There is a school in, uh, I think, in London where it's a vegetarian school and the kids are not allowed to bring in food from home. So they are forced to eat a vegetarian food. I mean, this is this is happening. I mean, there's, there's, there's uh, in Sweden, they're looking at, you know, cutting, 50% of the meat out of the school's diet by 2023. I mean, they're, they're just to, you know, to save the environment. This is, this is a goal here. And it's, again, we can go into the true environmental impact of animal agriculture versus the other stuff, but this is a misguided effort. Uh, and it's being, again, it's being backed up and funded by these companies that, are gonna, that, are, that stand to gain you know, billions of dollars. And so this is where the support's coming from. So we've got this huge, um, you know, sh- you know shift uh, for instance, the Eat Lancet Commission, who came out with the World Global Diet for the Planet, which was 53% of the calories came from sugar, grain, seed oils, and soybean. Uh, and that's just basically processed food. This is what they wanted to, do, to go. And these, this is sponsored by uh, petrochemical country com- company, companies, agricultural chemical companies, processed food companies. These guys are all behind this because this is what they want to see. They want us to continue producing monocrop foods that are highly uh, uh, fossil fuel dependent and cheap to make and, and very profitable. And so this is, you know, this is what we're seeing pushed down our throats. And, you know, there's, there's people that are just, okay, that's fine. doesn't really matter. And, you know, when we look at what's causing, well, we, we can go to a different topic on fossil fuels, but anyway, what else you guys want to talk about? <clears throat> uh, why do you think this film was made? Why do you think Game Changers was made? Well, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, I think James Cameron was the, uh, the uh, obviously driving force behind this. I mean, he is a vegan. His wife, uh, Susie Cam- uh, Camus, I think, is also a vegan. They have vegan schools. I mean, he is, uh, I mean, he's invested, he's got $140 million invested in, in a pea protein, you know, manufacturing plant, the wow. one of the largest in the world, basically. So, I mean, obviously, if more people go vegan, they're, they're going to sell more pea protein. So, I mean, it, it's hard not to be cynical about that stuff. But I mean, I do think, you know, he's he's ideologically invested in this belief system, like many of them, many of those folks are. And it's just, uh, you know, he's obviously a good filmmaker, and it's very compelling. And it's, it's used, you know, it, it utilizes appeals to emotion. And it doesn't necessarily have to be 
you know, it, it can be plant-based, but it's not fact-based. And, and I think that is, uh, that is a sort of situation there. And it's just, it's, it's his belief to do what he thinks is right in the world. And, and the same with the other filmmakers. I mean, they, they, I believe they honestly believe they're doing the right thing. Now, if they make, you know, they make some money off investment, that's fine too. But, you know, we all, at the end of the day, got to make a living. But at the end of the day, it is just, um, you know, it's just basically propaganda at the end of the day. What about the um, their claim in the, in the Game Changers documentary where they're saying that uh, the animal products don't actually have the protein? They're just the uh, the middleman. They're the delivery system because the, uh, the the cows or whatever they're eating the grass, and that is actually what what contains all of the protein. We're just getting it through the uh, through the cow, basically. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there there is some truth to that, but I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous. I mean, you know, if you look at a cow, I mean, what does a cow have? I mean, they have a they have a rumen, which contains fifty gallons of food. I mean, they you know they can they can they can hold fifty gallons of food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they have bacteria that convert that food into, you know, short chain fatty acids and other compounds are utilizable by the cow. But I mean, while it's true, plants have protein, but if you look at like other primates, like a gorilla or a chimpanzee, I mean, these guys also have this specialized hindgut fermentation capacity that humans largely don't have anymore. And so these guys, like a gorilla, for instance, will eat something like 40 to 60 pounds of food a day. Can you imagine having to eat 40 pounds? And, you know, the average silverback gorilla is about 350 pounds. And Mark, you were almost that size at one point. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to eat 50 pounds of friggin' 50 pounds of leaves and twigs every day to maintain that, I mean, it would be, it would be ridiculous. And so, I mean, that, would, what, that is what you would have to do to do that. You know, and the other thing is, you know, nitrogen is in the, in the atmosphere. You know, nitrogen is, is the most common gas in the atmosphere. And what happens is actually bacteria in the soil fix that nitrogen, convert it into, into microbial protein, and then the plants then absorb that protein through their root system and then display it in their protein. And then, you know, cows eat it and then we eat the cows. This is the trophic levels. We're, we're apex predators, high-level predators. So if we were to make that argument, then the, the right answer would be you should walk around maybe eating dirt because this is where the, the, the protein really initially originates in from micro, microorganisms. Or you could say you could just suck in nitrogen from the air. I mean, if you want to make this least common denominator argument. So it's just a silly argument. And, you know, we're just, we are as human beings, not don't have the specialized hardware, you know, the anatomic tools to make the conversion to turn that much plant material into protein very effectively. And this is why, you know, the pea protein isolates and all the mechanical stuff that has to occur. So if you go around, just go out in your backyard and start munching on whatever (laughs) vegetation you find, you're not going to do very well. Uh, so I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's it's just a silly argument. I, I I mean, I don't even know why they throw it out there. If you think about a vegan diet, and you think about like a keto diet. Well, there's a lot of things you can target people with. You know, you can, or even just people on any sort of diet. You can make products, and you can make a lot of money off of off of having products that fit people in the keto world or fit people in um, the vegan world. But when it comes to meat, it's kind of it's like you just go buy meat from the grocery store or the butcher. Uh, it, it's a much harder thing to figure out how to like monetize. I guess you know you, there are some offshoot products like bone broth, and there's some bars that have meat in them or something like that. But for the most part, it would be difficult, and it would be hard to um, it would be hard to like target those people because because of some of the stigma behind meat. So it's it it raises a lot of interesting questions on. You know, what, what are the reasons why 
people are trying to say that a vegan diet is good and, and then they're kind of slamming, um, you know, red meat. There's just, there's not a lot of profitability uh, when it comes to some of these things from what I've seen. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult to make a pro, you know, make a product out of meat. I mean, it's, it's pretty complete already. You don't need much process. It already tastes great. You know, it comes in a pretty good package form, but I mean, to be honest, there is, as you guys are probably aware, there is this sort of belief that this lab grown meat is going to be the thing. And so we can talk a little bit about that. And I think that's an important discussion to have because people think, you know, we are just going to take a cell from a cow and put it in a little Petri dish and magic. We're going to grow hamburgers and, and the world's going to be safe, but they don't understand the actual process. So, if we go over the process of how that currently occurs, it, it's actually pretty sort of it's sort of scary. So the way they have to make that that occur is they have to take the cells that they harvest from from the animal and they have to bathe it in a fluid called fetal bovine serum. And so where do we where do we get fetal bovine serum from? So what they have to do is they have to take a pregnant cow, they have to kill the cow, cut it open, re- remove the fetus, and while the fetus is still alive, they have to suck blood out of its heart through a big needle. And they have to do it without anesthesia on the fetus because it would, you know, if the anesthetic got into the blood, then it would be a problem. So they have to take these fetuses, suck all their blood out, you know, squirt it on these cells, and they have to keep doing it over and over and over again to get these cells to grow. So this is the first problem. And then you have to feed those cells something. So you have to feed them glucose. You have to feed them protein. Where do you get the protein from? So you have to grow pea protein or soybean protein or some other source of protein uh, from a monocrop field in, in, in more amounts than you would that beef would eat, you know, cause beef can turn grass into uh, you know, into, into protein where, where we have to use these soy and, and pea protein isolates to feed these things. So you're going to need more monocropping to support this stuff. And then uh, so once you grow these things and you have all these, and there's all the waste products you have to dispose of. We don't talk about how we get rid of that. And then we have to keep them sterile because remember, these, these little cell cultures don't have an immune system, right? So if a bacteria gets in there, it wipes out the entire batch. It could be a giant, you know, vat, you know, a huge vat of meat, sort of cell cultured meat product. So if we get the antibiotics, so then we have to bathe them in antibiotics and people complain about antibiotics and injected in cows. Well, guess what? These cell culture ones are going to have to be sterile at some point. So either they put them in a sterile container, but as soon as they take them out from that, They've got to put something on there to protect them, possibly more antibiotic. And so we've got this stuff, not to mention all the fossil fuels and energy that go into running the plants to harvesting the peas, to, to, to converting the peas into pre-protein isolate to feed the cows. And so it becomes a very environmentally draining process from, with regard to fossil fuels, whereas a cow is sitting in a field using the energy from the sun to eat grass you know, to turn its product into meat and it's self-replicating, you know, it's a self-replicating device. And so this sort of process thing at Memphis Meats and other, other companies are coming in, it is another thing. And they're going to tell you this fairy tale about how they're saving the planet mm. and how it's much healthier for you. And again, remember these cells can grow forever. Uh, and, and we have things called immortal cells that we use in cancer research. So for instance, there's like breast cancer cells that have been growing since the 1960s. And they keep growing and growing and growing and they keep them alive like a, like Frankenstein's monster. And, and then they use it for research. So this is what this food would ultimately be. And so we don't know if these cells replicating indefinitely will have some sort of problems. We don't know what parts are going to grow. Are they going to have the right amount of fat? So they're going to have the right amount of, uh, you know, it, you know, just inputs that we would require to grow what we're used to eating as humans. And so, again, this is another product that I have a lot of skepticism about. Is that out currently? Like, they think it'll be on the market by maybe next year, the first first uh, 
you know, first uh, rounds of this stuff. Um, what about, um, like sustainability, you know, and what about, um, you know, can, if we go on a carnivorous diet, is there enough cows? Is there enough meat to, uh, to feed us all? And also are we, you know, ha- leaving a, uh, worse footprint, bigger footprint behind in terms of like the environment if we eat meat? Yeah. So, I mean, certainly, you know, beef in particular is more environmentally intensive than other sources of, of protein. You, even if you compare it to chicken, pigs, uh, you know, sheep and stuff, well, sheep's about the same. Um, so what we have to realize is depending upon what metric you use. And so a lot of people like to use calories per greenhouse gas, right? So that presumes that all calories are created equal. If we start looking at critical human nutrients, if we look at things like lysine, which is an essential amino acid, if we start looking at things like zinc and iron and you know bioavailable protein, then those numbers become very different. Then it almost becomes favorable for beef versus things like you know other plant foods that are out there. And so that's one that's one discussion you have to frame what you're talking about because if you want to just produce lots and lots of calories for human beings to eat, then just grow sugar. Sugar is the most calorie dense resource, you know, prudent thing you can grow. And so we, we just feed people lots of sugar and, you know, people like it cause it's sweet, but it doesn't do much for our health, right? Our teeth all fall out and we get fat and sick most likely. So there's, you, you've got to frame this a certain way, but even if we talk about, uh, let's say greenhouse gases, for instance, and one of the things is, you know, we hear from vegan advocates and, you know, particularly they say, well, beef is the number one or animals are the number one reason for you know, climate change. And that's just clearly not true. Um, you know, when we look at, uh, for instance, the United States data where we, where us three live, right? Three of us live and we're trying to make a difference in the world. We see that, you know, animal agriculture accounts for 4% of our greenhouse gases. Plant agriculture accounts for 5% of our greenhouse gases. And I'm using EPA data here. Cows, cows account for 2% of our greenhouse gases nationwide. And so when we compare that to things like the transportation industry, which is about 28%, uh, in the electrical and, and energy industry is about 27, 28%, and then industry in general is about another 25%. So we've got 80% in those sectors and only 2% from cows. Just the healthcare sector alone is about 10% of our greenhouse gases. So if you know we go on a meat-based diet and we stop having to go to the doctor all the time, guess what? We're actually saving greenhouse gas emissions because, you know, instead of, you know, going to the doctor, you know, six times a year and having procedures and taking pharmaceutical drugs, we're not contributing to that anymore. So we've now reduced our, our greenhouse gas footprint just from, just from getting healthier. Sick people are going to be more damaging to the environment than cows can possibly be. That's, that's one thing. But when we step outside of the U S we, we see that worldwide, Animal agriculture is about 14% of greenhouse gas emissions and cows themselves are about 6%. And the reason those numbers are higher is because in most of the world, uh, most of the cattle are still raised and, you know, uh, used like they were five, six, seven, eight hundred years ago, a thousand years ago. They just haven't evolved. Something like 70, 80% of the cattle in, in the world are still being managed like they were 500 years ago. That is terribly inefficient. And then we see that like, for instance, in India, I mean, or Africa, it may take you 20 years of feeding the cow to get the same amount of milk that you can get in a year in the U.S., you know, so it's, it's just very inefficient. And so, ju- and, and you don't have to put them on grain to get this, but just to 
breed them properly just to treat them so they're free of parasites and disease. You know, India has a cattle herd of over 200 million. The United States has 90 million cattle. In India, most of their cows are sick. You know, they're wandering the streets, eating trash, they're filled with parasites, they're, you know, they're, they're producing their methane gas. So if you were to take that and bring up the efficiency standards, even to what the United States had back in 1960, you could feed the world all the meat they eat today with half the cows we have currently. So, I mean, you could actually reduce the number of cows we have, feed everybody just as much beef as we had now with less cows. Now, you could double the meat production in the world with the same amount of cows and even go more. And there's things we can further mitigate. There's things like algae that you can feed the cattle now that eliminate their methane emissions almost completely. And that's in the discussion around methane, most people don't realize that methane is a very short-lived greenhouse gas. So it goes up in the atmosphere, it's quickly turned around back into CO2 and comes back down. The plants then take it back in and turn it back into oxygen and the cows eat it. So it's part of this CO2 cycle that's natural. In fact, NASA and other places have looked at methane isotopes in the atmosphere and they've concluded that cattle are not contributing to rise in methane. Those things are all coming from other sources, things like fracking, natural gas, um, you know, rice, rice farming, uh, you know, uh, wet, wet marshlands, you know, different things. So it's really not the impact you think it is. Uh, it doesn't mean we don't need to continue to improve uh, the efficiencies. You know, in the, night, in, the night, in the United States, methane emissions are down 30% since the 1970s. Water usage is down 30% since the 1970s. Uh, land usage is down 30%. We just have 30% less cattle. Uh, because we've been more efficient at doing that. And the other thing about the water, you know, we always hear about, you know, a hamburger is like 55 swimming pools worth of water. I mean, that's also garbage data because what they failed to mention is something like, and this is on a worldwide number, something like 96 to 90% of all water that is used to go to feed cows is just rainwater. I mean, it's not like that water wouldn't fall anyway. The water falls on the grass, the grass grows, the cows eat the water that's in the grass. Most of the cow's water comes from the grass they eat, which came from rainwater. And what happens to the what happens to that water? It doesn't magically disappear. Guess what? The cows piss. The cows take a dump. The cows breathe out moisture. All that water is again returned back into the environment. And so again, these numbers are all just suited to, to whoever's political uh, uh, ideology you believe. You know, so this is a, this is a thing. But yes, we can clearly, and we talk about regenerative type stuff. You know, goes like guys like Joel Salatin, who I, don't, I believe you're familiar with, and Will Harris at White Oaks Pastures. These guys are showing clearly that animals, when they are properly managed, can actually return carbon to the soil more than they utilize. So they are actually fixing the environment, which a vegan diet cannot do. So if you manage cows correctly, in fact, the most beneficial thing you can do for the environment is eat regeneratively raised, you know, large animals. This is going to help the environment. It's going to kill these animals too. You know, the, the vegan vegetarian argument about, you know, you're killing all the animals. Well, I mean, we know that, uh, you know, pesticides are sprayed on fields. I mean, those pesticides are not unintentional. I mean, the whole name pesticide kill pests. That's what it means. So you're intentionally killing animals. I mean, Farmers are out there with shotguns shooting rabbits and they're shooting, you know, deer and they're shooting things that eat their food. I mean, we see this, you know, there's just like millions upon millions of animals that are killed to harvest any food product, whether it's plant and then animal products. But at least we get, at least we eat the, 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 the animals that we harvest for food. Whereas all these rabbits and deer that suffer shot, I mean, they're, they're thrown into a compost heap or, or thrown in a, in a landfill. So, I mean, it's, it's more ethical actually to eat 
you know, particularly a large ruminant animal. This is the most ethical thing you can do. How can people find out more information about you? Uh, you have a book out. How can people purchase the book? Yeah, yeah. Books Carnivore Diet comes out November nineteenth. It's up on Amazon. It'll be on Barnes and Nobles. It's got a couple international places. Can be released internationally. Um, uh, my, you know, Instagram Sean Baker nineteen sixty seven, and then uh, Twitter I'm S Baker MD. I've got a YouTube channel now where I kind of yap once a morning for five ten minutes about some some topic that I'm interested in. <laughs> Awesome. That sort of stuff. How's uh, training going? How you been feeling lately? You know, I was kind of, you know, I went to Malaysia and I just kind of, you know, I took the little, that little X3 bar that John Jakish has and, and play with that, did a little of that when I'm trying. I find that's okay for travel, but uh, I uh, I was just kind of being a slacker. I mean, I was still training, but I wasn't like killing it you know, like I normally do. And so I took, it took about three weeks. And so now I'm just, this week got back into ramping it back up. I'm, I'm excited to, uh, go hang out with Chris in Hawaii next week and, and yeah. we'll train out there. And uh, you guys are doing a seminar out there, right? Yeah. We're doing a little seminar talking to some fitness folks about probably some of the stuff I'm talking about now. Um, but Chris is really, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure you're proud of the guy too. I'm, I'm oh, really absolutely. What he's done in the last two years. I mean, it's been amazing. Oh, it's been unbelievable. And to what, and that's, you know, that's why I'm shouting all the time talking about, eating meat because, uh, I've seen it change people's lives, including, you know, people that are close to me. So, um, you know, people that are thinking about like trying to diet, it's as simple as just eating some meat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't it, have I to mean, be any more you, complicated you than about, that. You think about explaining a diet to any animal. I mean, if it takes more than 10 seconds to tell your animal what to eat, I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but, uh, yeah, I'm not, I guess from training standpoint, you know, I won the world championships in rowing last year here in Long Beach. And so next year it's in Paris. So I think I'm, I might fly out to Paris to compete to, to try to, uh, you know, retain the title. That's that's kind of my, my athletic goal for, for the year. And then always just, the, you know, the general stuff, the deadlift thing and, the, you know, the jumping around and staying, staying fit and agile and that type of stuff. In your book, do you talk about your training as well? Not so much. No, I mean, it's, it's more, it's more really an introduction. You know, the, the, the target audience is for people that really may not understand or know much about the carnivore diet. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of the philosophy, the, the, the publisher, you know, I had a publisher that approached me to write the book. And so they really wanted me to include some autobiographical stuff. So I did do some of that. Some of that they cut out cause it was too graphic, I guess it was too, too gory when I talked about my time at war and some of the stuff I saw in medicine, but I was kind of a little bummed to see that stuff go, but I guess it was like for a diet book, they said maybe a little too intense, but, <laughs> Maybe I'll do it as an un, un, unabridged release or something. But uh, no, it really talks about, you know, kind of the, you know, some of the historical and evolutionary theory, some of the, some of the scientific theory behind why it might work, some of the conditions it, it seems to help and why it may do so. Of course, we'll have some success stories. And, and just how I like to implement it, you know, philosophy on how to implement the diet, you know, what are the important ideas, what are the concepts, and how to make it sustainable over the long haul, which I think you know, as, as you know, your friend Stan Efferding says, compliance is a science. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And so whatever you do that makes you successful, that keeps you, uh, what I, and what I feel is healthy is lean and strong. I mean, I think those things are, are, are very good markers of health and whatever, whatever it takes to get you there and keep you there is really the best thing you can do for your health over the long haul. Always awesome. Have you on the show. Um, super excited about the book and, um, I hope everybody, uh, checks it out. Catch you later. All right, guys. Thanks a bunch. All right. Take care. That was awesome. That guy's a beast, by the way. You know, he's, I think he'll deadlift 405 occasionally for some reps. And I think I want to say I've seen him do like 17 or 19 reps or something like that. 
Um, not an easy thing to do. I don't think he even wears straps. Um, he's always in shape. Yeah, he's like, always in shape. He's lean. He's yeah, he'll he'll do those seventeen reps years old. and then jump over the bar and then jump across the entire gym like a madman. Wait, you said oh, yeah. sixty three or fifty three? Sixty three. He's sixty three. Yeah, yeah, bro. And and uh, this this is gonna sound stupid, but like looking at him now, he looks younger than the first time I met him. He looks a lot. He actually looks a lot better. Yeah. I remember when he first came here and he was telling me that he ate meat for like a year, and I was like. I would assume you'd look better eating meat for a year. If I'm being totally honest, like I would think that you would be leaner. I remember like his skin was a little more like blotchy almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And looking at him here, I was just like, yeah, what's going on? You should on? do a 23 and me test and yeah. see if he's uh anyway, part Nigerian. Yeah, maybe <laughs> <laughs> he might be like, like Viking or something. Yeah, right? Maybe, like yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a big dude. So yeah. yeah, man, that's awesome. 63, bro. I thought he was 53. Yeah, it's crazy. But what I really wanted to know, you know how we were having that conversation mm-hmm. about, do we actually think that, you know, um, that they're really trying to help people get healthy. I want to know, does like with what all these doctors know, cause you can't think that they don't understand what he understands about these studies. Mm-hmm. Are they trying to help people get healthy or are they literally just trying to get an agenda forward and make money? I wanted to know his thoughts yeah, on that, yeah. but I guess that's something for another day. Yeah. Yeah. When he comes in. Yeah. We'll have him here at some point. Yeah. But, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think, you know, to your point on, on that, on that topic, I think that some people, I, th- I just don't think they know. I don't mm. think they know the way he knows. I don't think they do. And it's interesting because he is a doctor, but he's not a doctor in the field that he's talking about. Yeah. He's not a doctor of the carnivore diet, but he has become one because mm-hmm. he researches everything. And then like, how do you know so much shit about the cows and stuff? Yeah. He researches Like he's that. really like, you know, uh, people need to have a, a better appreciation for people like that because he's doing this dive that's deep, man. And that no one else has really done before. People have not. And in my opinion, he's kind of the guy who's kicked this whole thing off, you know, mm. in the first place. And some of the stuff he was talking about, like vitamins and minerals, not being able to really absorb them for much of anything, you know, when you get them in a, you know, supplemental form and you, you try to take them, try to take like a thing like vitamin C, you know, I, I really find it really interesting. Maybe every single thing that we know about nutrition, or maybe not every single thing, but maybe like a huge percentage of the stuff that we know is way different than we ever thought. Because there's different rules for people when they're on a really good diet. When you're on, when you're consistently on a really good diet, uh, one example is like vitamin C. They've shown that when people eat, there was a study done where people that eat carbohydrates for whatever particular reason, they seem like they need more vitamin C. When people eat less, they don't need as much. And I don't know if it's because you, you know, produce something that's similar to vitamin C. I forget how it all works, but those are that's an interesting concept. Yeah. That just because you don't participate in eating a certain way, you end up getting a a different result, you know. And then you have not even not only a different result, but then you have a whole entire different set of rules. Mm-hmm. So it's like all these things that were like, you need to get your vitamin B, you need to get your vitamin whatever. Like um, maybe like when you just eat meat, maybe everything's pretty taken care of. That's what it seems like. It does, right? <laughs> It does. It does. And he was talking about kind of like uh, nutrient dense food. And I think people get all excited about the vitamins and minerals in, in the food. Um, but I think even beyond the vitamins and minerals, it's nutrient dense in terms of its macronutrients as well. Mm-hmm. It's got a nice, healthy chunk of fat in there and a nice, healthy chunk of protein in there. Um, those things are satiating. They can help you stay on your diet. Um, 
and carbohydrates can be satiating too, like a potato, like we've talked about before on the podcast, or oatmeal. Mm-hmm. You know, make up some thick oatmeal. You're pretty full for a damn long time too. Um, but it's like you know, if you're you're trying to you're trying to stay on a diet day in and day out, um, you really need to make sure that it it all boils down to what is something that you are going to be able to do. What's something that you're going to be able to adhere to? What are some things that you're going to be able to look forward to? Because if you don't have food to look forward to, I, I don't I don't think you're going to make it. I don't yeah. think you're going to be able to diet through it. I think it's going to be too hard. It, it, it is. Like, we're, we're, it, every time we've both tried to diet and I guess, or all of us, yeah. and we couldn't stick to it, well, we binged, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean- yeah, I don't. Yeah, it went the anymore. exact opposite way of the foods we were told to eat. It's like, <laughs> hey, man, you need like egg whites, rice cakes. Here's your things. You got these twelve foods you're allowed to eat, and that's it. And you do it for like two or three days, and then it's like maddening, and then there you are, you know, eating all kinds of crazy, weird stuff. Yeah. God, this is crazy. It really is crazy to me. All of this stuff, because just a few years ago, none of this, all of this, would have yeah. sounded like bullshit. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I am too. Like, and I wanted to ask him, and I guess I'll just ask you, Mark. Um, like, how do we get the older generation to start eating meat? Not start, but like not demonizing it. Because, like, I tell my dad, like, hey, like I'll look at his plate, like ah, you should probably throw some more meat on there. Ah, the doctor, blah mm-hmm. blah blah. Like, no, dude, you're fine. <laughs> I think it's a matter of, of having a discussion with somebody where you can try to unring some truths, you know, these things that they think are true, you know, for them. And if you can start to do that, then maybe you can get them to believe. Because if you can get them to believe, uh, our belief system is so strong that that's something that keeps you connected. That's something that really keeps you connected to something. So, um, I, you know, I'll always revert back to fasting because I can't think of any other way to make you hungry for meat all the time than mm-hmm. to fast. But fasting and lower carbohydrate intake, I know they both suck. I know it's like it doesn't sound fun. Um, but, you know, I've said before that success breeds success. Well, I, I feel like when you start to eat on a keto style diet, that keto promotes keto. Like it's one of the few diets that actually promotes itself. It's one of the few diets where it even takes several days to like even start to produce ketones, but it's, it's promotional in the fact that you're like, well, if I eat those carbs, I'm going to kind of break up this little system that I got going on. And I'm encouraged to eat meat every time a, because I'm hungry B because like I, I really, uh, am excited by the food. Like I love the flavor of it. And then number three, I know that it's going to keep this cycle going of ketones. And once I eat some of this meat, the cravings I have, because we were talking about Pop-Tarts the other day, the cravings for Pop-Tarts are, are gone halfway yeah. through. Mm-hmm. And then I'm totally fine. Like, I'm calm again. I'm like, ah, everything, everything's good in the mm-hmm. world, you know? And I get to kind of stay on that cycle. But to get some of the older population to, um, you know, try to buy in, you know, I would just say, like, you're already sick. Like, you're already, you're already kind of screwed up. And so, you know, what do you have to lose other than to make some really awesome uh, strong, positive changes. And if you go back to what Dr. Baker said in there, or if you read the War on Carbs book, you know, I suggest when somebody starts a diet, man, like just go for it. Eat as much as eat as much as you need. Like not as much as you want, like don't be reckless, but eat as much as you need. You need, you feel like you need to eat three pounds of meat one day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, good luck trying to keep that pace for a long time. You yeah. know, you're going to, are you going to eat six pounds of meat every day for like four years? Um, I really, really doubt it. I know there's some people that have some pretty good appetites, but after a while you'll start to automatically eat less and less. And that's, in my opinion, that's uh, kind of what we're, what we need to have people have control over. And I think also, I mean, if you want the, I guess the older generation to listen, like you need to, uh, like I think that podcast we had with Ken Berry was pretty powerful. I sat down and had my mom watch that because a lot of the stuff I've been telling her was kind of falling on deaf ears until like she listened to that and saw what a doctor was saying about what doctors say. Because her doctor, it was like, oh, you're, you know, you need to lower your cholesterol a bit. You probably should eat less red meat. Like her doctor has that influence over her. And if your doctor who you believe in is having this influence over you and your health and telling you what to do, and it's the exact opposite of what you're trying to tell them, Andrew, well, you gotta try and you probably have to have another person that they feel is, has the credentials that they'll respect because mm-hmm. it, it also comes down to like, maybe they just don't respect your opinion. Some people in my life don't respect my opinion yeah. on some of these. Yeah. Things. And it doesn't help that I'm the youngest in the family too. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm the weirdo over here telling them to eat meat and exercise. I think, uh, <laughs> eating less fat and less cholesterol and things like that. I think, um, it's just such common suggestions. And I also think that when people say, uh, eat less cholesterol, there's still a, a ton, there's still a wide array of foods that are wide open. So if I say don't eat carbs, like you won't have any of these problems that we're talking about, you'll have none of them. Uh, that's a lot harder of a thing. That's a lot harder of a stance for someone to be like, all right, well, fuck it. I'm just not going to eat any carbs. Yeah. Like that's a really big commit from, commitment for somebody. Yeah. But for somebody to go, oh, I could eat like some less eggs and yeah, you know, I have bacon in the morning and there's a couple other places where I think I'm getting in too much cholesterol. I'll, I'll read some food labels. Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy, but what do you get to still eat? You still get to eat your, you know, older, a lot of older people like eat like hard candy and stuff. I don't remember my I grandmother. Yeah. My grandmother had all that stuff around all the time and very snacky. You know, these old people are very snacky. They got tons of packaged foods that have a, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of crunch or a lot of sugar to them. Mm-hmm. And that's what those people get accustomed to eating but you know i i said this to a guy the other day and he 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 was like he thought it was he thought it was brilliant uh this guy you know was talking about how he had a hard time like getting up off his couch and you know i said to him i said throw away your couch (laughs) (laughs) he's like i he's like i end up coming home from work and i just plop down on the couch and i just sit there and eat and i said okay so like you know, you're under the impression of that your TV costs, you know, four or $500, you know, but it doesn't, it's costing your life because you're sitting there in front of it, eating like a goddamn pig. And if you didn't have the TV or the couch, you wouldn't have these problems. So it's like, get rid of one or the other. Yeah. Like take that goddamn couch and throw it out. And actually I, I'm being a hundred percent serious. Put a uncomfortable chair in front of the TV. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just make it so it's not that setup. Um, Andrew, you went with me to Kyle Kingsbury, Kyle Kingsbury's house, right? Mm-hmm. And what did he have in front of his TV? Uh, so I'm trying to remember. There was a uh, like a like almost like exercise mat type of thing. A hundred percent. It was an area to do fucking yoga. And, then, and he had he had a uh, he had med he had like some med balls mm-hmm. out. He had like a kettlebell, a trampoline. A trampoline, and they all go jump on the trampoline yeah. occasionally. Uh, he had a foam roller, and, and it was like this. 
you walk in and you look to your you look to your left and there's stuff for his son bear mm-hmm. and you look to the right there's a tv with a couch there's a, still a couch there in front of it though there's this little area where you can exercise and mm-hmm. you're like oh this house is about exercise it's yep. about family because they got stuff over there for the kid they all join together and watch tv they didn't even have cable all they ever play is the same like disc over and uh, over again the, the like planet earth <laughs> planet earth or something <laughs> yeah. like that yeah it's they so have good. different versions of that yeah because it's educational and yeah. they that's the way they roll but yeah. like you don't have to be you don't have to be kyle's kingsbury you don't have to be that crazy about it but like you get the point, man. Like, what's what's bugging you? What's in your way? Are you snacking too much? Are you doing this? You're doing that. Ditch the snack or ditch the time. Like, what's you know? People are like, ah, oh, man, I, I late night is a real problem for me. Well, then go to bed. <laughs> you know, if if you eat like if you have this crazy weird appetite at ten o'clock at night, then go to bed at nine, mm-hmm. and then it's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah uh, definitely walking in and hanging out with the Kingsburys was a huge influence on our house. Like, I mean, everything that they do, minus the open relationship thing, is a huge influence on Stephanie and I. Uh, but yeah, you walk into my house right now, and the maybe the second thing you see is our entire gym room. Like, oh, where we're supposed to have a living room is a squat rack, a, you know, a bench, yeah. a treadmill, and stall mats. That's how we had it set up, yeah. And part of that was because I'm like thinking like, we probably shouldn't do this, but Kingsbury did it. Like, fuck it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's huge. Yeah. Changing the lifestyle that, no, that, that makes a big difference. (laughs) Throw everyone's couch away. No, it's like an amazing, it gets in the way of the habit loop. Like you don't (laughs) have, you you cannot go sit and and sit on a couch. Yeah. You get, take a hammer and throw it right through the fucking center of your television. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) You won't sit in front of the TV (laughs) anymore. I can't. It means so much to me. You gave it to me. Oh, there we go. So I can't do that. My uh, (laughs) wife would be pissed. She loves to watch TV. She, I I don't even know how she does it. I, I told her the other day, I'm like, you should be like 700 pounds. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like with your TV, like you, you are up to date on every show yeah. and you're still fit and in shape. I don't know how she does it, but she doesn't really sit down and watch it though. I guess she's just doing stuff while she's it's really, it. really rare. Actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. She'll, if she, if she does sit down, she sits down for like 30 minutes and then like I bother her or the kids bother her and she's back up again so. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or yeah. Daisy. Yeah. There, there's somebody in the gym. I, I don't, I, I think I've talked about it before on the podcast, but they were like, you know, they say you're not supposed to eat and watch tv i've been watching tv and eating dinner for the like you know the past 20 years i'm not gonna stop now i was like oh and you can imagine he is a little bit of a bigger fella <laughs> oh but mm. we love him and he's he's a funny guy he's awesome but yeah that's kind of i eat and watch stuff yeah i do i was you just do gonna do say i do that all the time yeah i guess it just matters how you do it and how but much you uh i think i use it to the uh to my benefit like if i'm eating no carbs i'm just trying to pay attention to what i'm watching and then just all I look down, all oh, the food's gone. Cool. Yeah. I I normally don't. Um just because I like sitting at like the dinner table a little mm. bit better. Mm-hmm. Um but the house that we're in now, you can kind of see the TV from there. So I'll probably be yeah, halfway watching TV or whatever. Our yeah. TV's like always on. Yeah. You know, our TV's like mm-hmm. always on. Yeah. Uh, but I, just, I think I, I got past a lot of those problems anyway, so it's mm-hmm. not really a big deal for me anymore yeah. i have no idea what that house is like but i'm just picturing the space like just all of the Dude, space it's stupid how big it is like so <laughs> like even just little stuff like i'm like i like even just throwing something away i'm like man i had to walk i need like multiple garbage cans i had to walk <laughs> really a far. 10 minute walk to my yeah. garbage can. yeah I had to fucking just in my own kitchen like not even trying to walk it outside or anything so and then like i don't know where anything is yeah. still so we're just like 
walking around like mad. Andy's like, we're going to lose a bunch of weight being in this place because nice. we're walking all over the place. I can't wait for you guys to see it. Oh, God. It's yeah. awesome. Friday. Yeah. Friday, Friday, Friday night. Meathead Millionaire Summit. That should be fun. Anyway, that's all the time I got. <laughs> strength is never weakness. Weakness is never strength. Where can people find you, Andrew? At I am Andrew Z. It might be a little tricky to find me right now, but just type Shadow in. Shadow Ben. Yeah, type in the yeah. entire name and Steroids. I'm unfortunately probably the last one that shows up but it's just at i am andrew z it's not i dot I, just i am andrew z yeah and it, he got shadow banned because he talked about his congo should have done miss. that i told you not to do that out of out of all of the percentage yeah, that was of a my crazy makeup, picture though i was not expecting that I yeah was like, they Whoa. took that shit down i was so upset but yeah of course out of all of the percentage that i'm made of mm-hmm the 1% Congo gets hated on in shadow band. It's your fault. I know. I don't talk about it, at least openly. Where can people find you, sir? My Instagram and YouTube is at Nsima Iyang. N-S-I-M-A-I-N-Y-A-N-G. At Mark Smelly Bell. Bye.